Hello and welcome to On the Couch with Cannings. I'm Susie Reinhart, Director at Cannings, and I'll be hosting today's podcast. The ASX is trading at record highs and investor sentiment seems to be pretty bullish. We're in a period where many ASX companies are preparing their result announcements for August and thinking about what investors will be most focused on in their results. Which brings us to our podcast today, where we'll be talking to two special guests about what investors are expecting of companies this reporting season. Joining us today is Alex Clark, Co-Portfolio Manager at Elliston Capital. Alex has over 10 years of financial markets experience under her belt, including time as a sell-side analyst. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Susie. And also joining us is Connor O'Prey. He's a senior analyst at Canaccord Genuity, and he has over 15 years experience in equity markets, both here in Australia and in the UK. Connor's area of focus is small to mid-cap companies. Connor, welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Susie. Welcome, and thank you both for joining. Um, so turning to company results, you know, that are approaching in August, last year it was all about what impact COVID had had on earnings and JobKeeper, et cetera, et cetera. So interested to hear from you firstly, Alex, what are you most focused on in company results this reporting season? I don't think much has changed, actually. I think with the current lockdown that um, both Sydney or New South Wales and Victoria are experiencing, I think it is going to be a common theme coming into the August result and whether stimulus is going to support that first quarter of 2022. I think the other themes that we'll be looking for closely at Ellison Cost inflation, we've started seeing that come through a lot of the mining and mining services companies, and I think that's going to be a very big theme um, going forward. So we've seen wages go up, particularly in tech staff, and we're also seeing input costs go through the roof. And we've seen that through, say, shortage of chip supplies, which are impacting car volumes coming into this country. We're also seeing it in um, the alternative uses of those supplies. So going to the higher value products. So I think that's going to be something that we'll look out for. And um, finally, I think the Aussie dollar. So it's been all over the place in the last sort of 12, 18 months. And um, we're seeing how companies are hedging that out and also how they're going to be the beneficiaries and the, the losers of that fluctuating Aussie dollar. Great. Thanks, Alex. And Connor, what, what do you think about that? What what key themes are you expecting out of the results season? Yeah, echoing what Alex just said, there, there is a sense of groundhog day about the lockdown and the restrictions that we've got in place in New South Wales and Victoria. I think if we'd been having this conversation a month ago, we'd be discussing maybe talking about trading statements and other statements which are tending towards a degree of, of normality. But I think now we're really kind of going to be focusing on issues we were looking at a year ago. For me, what I've been looking at for the media stocks that I cover, which is one of the sectors, last year was really a write-off. The sector performed um, very, it was a very difficult time last year because of the lack of ad spend. So I look at it as a bit of a lost year for the sector. So one of the things I've been looking at throughout this year is the trajectory of different formats recovering. And so I'm going to be continuing to look at that. But unfortunately, we're going to have a sort of a month or so period where there's a definite hiatus there or something may have happened which interrupts some of the recovery that we've seen from say out of home or or, or the radio format so yeah things like that I think the other thing that we've observed a little bit we talked about it um, amongst ourselves internally this morning was some issues around supply chains we're hearing you know 
Um, some retailers talking about thinking about making Christmas orders, and it's only in July because of supply chain. So, so I think companies that are importing and perhaps um, either consumer goods or industrial goods and, and any impacts there. Yeah, it's interesting, and um, hearing you talk about companies and their trajectory makes me think back to last year and the difficulty companies had in providing guidance. And I'm interested um, to hear from you, Connor, about what you think companies should be doing in that area, given their uncertainty has returned to the market with the lockdowns that we're in now. Well, I think they can only say what they see. And I think that we shouldn't be overly demanding in terms of guidance visibility is genuinely low. And I know that a number of companies often leave their guidance maybe until the AGM statement, which gives them another few months of trading under their belt before they can form a form a view about the full year. But for a junior end company, you know, we've got another by the time the results come out, ten and a half maybe months to go before the before the following year close before the, this current year closes. So yeah, guidance is a is a tricky matter, and and really applies perhaps for companies that've got a lot of recurring revenue, um, but for ones which are where you've got perhaps a more transactional style of revenue model, that is definitely a a trickier matter at this stage, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, agree, and I I think one of our clients is um, provides their guidance at their AGM, which which is interesting. And what 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 about you, Alex? What do you think about guidance and what companies should be doing um, in that area? Oh, I agree that it's difficult for companies to provide forward-looking statements at the moment. I think you'll probably see the retailers come out and give you a six, eight-week trading update. So from when they report in August, you might get a July figure if you're lucky. But I think the market's going to be quite forgiving of the fact that there might be forward-looking statements because it's very hard to forecast at the moment. I also think that... um, People will look through on some like the outdoor media companies that Connor was speaking about before, the travel companies, things like that, that are in this holding pattern. I think the the result itself, people won't be that interested in. It will be about those qualitative forward-looking statements that the company may be able to provide, that what their cost base is, where break-even hits through or things like um, routes opening up in Europe or the US. I think that sort of commentary is what the, the market will be focused on because a, a quantitative number, I think, will be um, exceptionally hard for a board to sign off on. Yeah, yeah, great. And turning back to you, Connor, many of our clients are small to mid-cap companies, which is where you and I cross paths quite a bit. What's your number one tip for companies preparing their results? If we were to kind of take it down, drill down to just one tip, what would it be? I think when I was thinking about this question, I think I came down to the the simple observation that these are really promotional and, and, and marketing documents for companies as they relate to their proposition as, a, as an investment. And so I think when you distill that down, the, the key objective for any presentation is that management should feel that they're imparting the message that the that the designed audience really should be walking away from. So if there are some key metrics in the business that they really want the market to go on to and think about from a forecasting and modeling and, and then a valuation perspective, then really they should really try to, to, to try to draw that out. I think the other thing that 
I would say, if I can have a sort of a 1B and a, and a 1C. I think investors always really like to know what's going on on an underlying basis in companies. And obviously, small mid-cap businesses, there's an awful lot of, usually there's acquisitions or can be acquisitions going on. And sometimes there is, as Alex talked about, there's some forex impact. But the one company that I cover has no forex uh, effect in its business and has done a lot of M&A over the years. And they very helpfully have a chart in their presentation where they break each of those out. And it really helps the market understand the different moving parts in the business, especially with regard to acquisitions, which can provide a high degree of lumpiness to revenue and earnings. And I think the one of the things that I observe, and this is a really basic thing, but the, the most common request that I get from, from clients are for revenue and earnings bridges, which are a very visual, very simple way to impart a lot of information very easily and very quickly. And so things like that, I think, are very much appreciated. Um, bear in mind that during results season, people are really um, time poor, especially on the, especially on on Alex's side of the desk. They're very, very busy and they don't have a lot of time. So anything that imparts data really easily and really quickly, key messages, I think, would be very would be very much appreciated. And um, Alex, I, just, I imagine that forecasting and modelling is, is a huge part of what you do as well um, and, and also relying on Connor's great analysis. So what, what about you? What, what do you? What's your number one tip for companies as they prepare their results material? I agree with everything Connor said. I think my other point would be consistency. So if you've given me metrics or data last year or the last half, to continue to provide that going forward. I, I think for both buy-side and sell-side analysts, you set up your models a certain way. You are looking at um, a lot of companies reporting on the same day. And so you want to quickly be able to analyze those results to work out if you need to spend some more time diving into it. And so if the metrics that they provide you are consistent year in, year out, it gives you a lot more comfort in the underlying earnings trajectory of the business that you can see what's happening there. I also think that the um, earnings bridges are a great idea because when you're looking at, you're trying to see what the underlying growth of the business is and when you can normalise out impacts such as FX, um, an extra two or three months of an acquisition, um, job keeper, things like that, it will make everybody's life a lot easier to be able to determine the quality of that result. And then... Turning to newly listed companies, and there's been a flood of uh, companies that have listed on the ASX this year, what advice would you give them, Alex? They're preparing their first set of results, besides obviously meeting their forecasts and their perspectives. I think it's the same as for the listed companies, that you've provided us with the perspectives, the presentation, you've put a lot of hard work into that, and making sure that the information that was provided in, in that continues to be provided for future announcements. So if um, if you've given us palette numbers or you've given us ARR or any of the key metrics that drive your business to continue to provide them. Great. And what about you, Connor? You've been working on um, a few newly listed companies and issuing your first notes on them. What, what What's your advice? So I think when I was thinking about this question, I, I actually thought about some people that I'd spoken to that, that, that haven't taken um, some IPO stock. And, and one of the themes that came through was 
and this may apply across the board to those investors, but they said, we'd like to see the company get some runs on the board. And so I think it's, it's important to be mindful for companies that this is their first real broad-based exposure to the market. It's their first earnings call, potentially, their first results presentation. And these first impressions really matter. So on the assumption that they do have their prospectus numbers, um, it's about kind of the style in which they present the data, the metrics that they provide. As Alex said, and bear in mind that this, the, the prospectus has a wealth of information that will serve as a reference document for a couple of years. So they're going to have to distill on from that what the really important metrics are. And if I can just echo something that, that Alex said a, a second ago, the consistency of metrics is really important because these presentations are historical documents. And when, when I've been doing research, on companies with a view to sort of starting covering them. I've looked back through presentations and when I find that the metrics change over a period of time, it's very frustrating because you're looking for a way to model a company or, or something to look on to as a metric that you can use. And if it changes, it just becomes very difficult and a bit more, um, it's just a bit more challenging to do. And I think for companies, and it's probably a part of the answer I should have given under the presentation um, banner, but it's really, one of the objectives I think should really be not to be put into the too hard basket by investors, as, as I said, and I think everyone's pretty time poor. There are lots of companies to invest in. And so I think it's a question of imparting your message really easily, really distilling it down. And it's a fine balance because you don't want to reduce your business and make it sound as if it's not got really any moat or barriers to entry whilst at the same time, um, so you really want to promote the smarts in your business, but also making it as simple as possible for people to understand what the proposition and where the growth is so that they can look forward to a sort of increased earnings and valuation going forward. That's that's great and really helpful advice there. We're working with a few newly listed companies and I would definitely be sharing your advice with them. But a theme that does come through is very strongly in this podcast is around the metrics and um, I thank you for, for your thoughts on, in that area. So turning to the more practi practical elements of the results, which is the road, road show and meeting with analysts and investors, Connor, how is Canaccord planning to run group briefings this year? Do you think, I mean, it's still very much up in the air with the Sydney lockdown, but do you think if we can, it'll be face-to-face -face or still on the video conference call? Yeah, I think from a planning perspective, you know, we, we will be moving into planning mode now or if not very soon. And therefore, given the current situation, I suspect and regrettably will probably be in video mode again. That's not to say that that would be my preferred mode of operation at all in normal circumstances. I think face-to-face -face meetings are vastly preferable uh, just in terms of building a rapport, having a, a really seamless conversation. Even the mind, as good as the video and, and conferencing platforms are, just the minutest delay can sort of mean that someone talks over someone else and it really interrupts the flow of conversation. And I think that the video format lends itself to, certainly in my case, it, 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 I have to be very, very disciplined not to be distracted by other things that are going on. Whereas if you're in a room, conference room with some people, it's much more difficult to be interrupted. So my preference in a, in a, in a, in a normal world would be to, 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 to be able to meet with people face to face and build that, build, build that rapport. But obviously, you know, needs must, and, and we're probably going to be in a, feels like we're going to be in a different situation again this year. 
Yes, fingers crossed we'll be out of lockdown, but we may not be able to see each other in yeah. group situations for a little while. Um, and Alex, interested to hear from you on this and also around the balance between companies that Elliston's invested in or, or has a kind of larger stake in and then those that you're that you're interested in, um, you know, in normal circumstances, face-to-face versus video, how would you normally like to approach those meetings? So I'd prefer a face-to-face meeting and understandably in the current environment, that's not always the easiest to achieve. But I do think it's the reading the body language, it's building that rapport, it's being under, to be able to put a baseline of, of attitude and um, sort of the socialness to a company so you can work out when things are good and when things are bad you can sort of read how the rhetoric changes a bit which is a little bit harder to do when you're on a zoom call I also think that um, it's as Connor said when you're actually in a room with somebody you're 100% focused on that meeting and unfortunately at the moment that um You'll have emails, you'll have other results, you'll have um, the market ticking away. And um, if you're on a Zoom call now, you have to be really, really disciplined to make sure 100% of your focus is really on the company that's presenting to you. And so I think you probably lose a bit of that um, minutiae and detail that I, I found, and I'm sure Connor's going to be the same. You go back and reread the transcripts from the last reporting season and um, you're picking up bits and pieces that you have forgotten or you missed slightly in in that meeting. In terms of your second question on how do we approach what companies we own versus um, the companies that we're looking at and prospects out there. So we try and make sure that we see every one of our companies in reporting season that we do own. And that will be from participating in the conference calls and then having a one-on-one with that company. But there's also opportunities out there with um, future investments. So throughout a year and a normal year, we'd probably do north of 400 meetings a year. And a lot of those would take place over the reporting period. And so it's a matter of working out that you're, you're very focused on your investment portfolio, but you have to keep your ears and eyes open for your next lot of investments. So I will look at just as many companies that I don't own during reporting season that that I do own and that means I can find that next next prospect out there that I'm hoping that I can hold for the next three to five years. There's some really interesting insights there from you both. Thanks Connor um, and Alex for joining. Really appreciate you coming on the couch, our podcast. Thanks, Thank you for having us.